0: Welcome to the Inside Startup Investing Podcast, powered by King's Crowd. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lestruno. From discussions with founders and VCs to industry experts and special guests, we want to provide you with the inside scoop on all things startup investing. Whether you're investing $50 a deal or $500,000 a deal, we have the stories you need to hear before clicking invest. From the metaverse to spaceflight and beyond, join us as we explore the world of startup investing for all. And now, onto this week's episode. Hello everyone, and thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Kings Crowd Startup Investor Podcast. Today, we are taking a journey to the edge of space with founder and CEO of Space Ventures, Aaron Burnett. So in the past year, you've probably heard a thing or two about space travel and the future of life in space, be it Jeff Bezos and Blue Origin, Richard Branson and Virgin Galactic, or, of course, Elon Musk and SpaceX. We haven't had this much excitement and energy around space travel since Neil Armstrong walked on the moon all those years ago. Well, today we are speaking with the man behind Space Venture that wants to provide you with exposure to this beckoning market by allowing you to invest early into the next generation of space startups. Startups like Infinite Composites that allows more efficient storage of fuel in space for exploration vehicles, and Exospace that is building AI solutions for processing data and imaging from satellites. So let's get into it. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us here today.
1: Thanks for having me, Chris. Thanks, it's uh, fun, and it was, it was quite an intro, so I'm looking forward to our chat.
0: <laughs> well, I'd love to just hear from you. you. know, For those who don't know you, give us a little bit of background about yourself. And uh, and let's hear a little bit about what kind of inspired you to get into space. Yeah, and I'll, yeah. so I'll
1: try and keep it uh, you know as brief as possible. Um, you know, really, my background is non traditional aerospace background. You know, most people come in from PhD yeah. engineer, fighter pilot, astronaut sort of background. Uh, I fit none of those molds. Uh, actually, my background is in. Marketing and finance is where I kind of got started in my career. Did a lot of marketing and community building. Um, But really the origin story for this um, is centered around uh, a couple of key events. And one, one event in particular, there was a Falcon Heavy that shot a Tesla and Starman into space. And there was this iconic image of those boosters coming and landing side by side. There's a lot of video out there, a lot of photos. I don't have it on my wall yet, but, you know, that's the sort of thing a lot of people have on their wall. That image for me kind of broke my brain wide open. And to help create some context, um, I was actually in South America at the time. So I spent five years, 25 years old, hit what I call my quarter-life crisis. And I said, uh, there's got to be more to life than just making money and and all this other stuff. i got to have some more meaning. And so I went to South America, did volunteer work. Uh, was teaching down there for a little bit, trying to find, you know, something very meaningful and kind of doing what, you know, I guess you do if you're trying to do that. Um, but that's the context for me. Like, what's my, what am I going to do here that has impact on the world? That, and, and when I look back at the end of life, whatever, I can be very happy that, you know, what I accomplished, right? I think a lot of us are looking for that kind of meaning. And, um, you know, so that was, I was looking for that. I was in that frame of mind. And then this, these boosters are coming side by side. An additional context is, you know, I've been a space nut, you know, like like, I don't know, like of all people they thought about being an astronaut when they were a kid and, you know, daydreamed about it and all that stuff. Um, so I've been a space nut and a science nut uh, or science fiction nut, right, and grew up on Stargate SG-1. So that interest of mine was obviously peaked and what what I thought was something way, way into the future was happening in front of my eyes. And I said, how do I, you know, be a part of that? <laughs> How do I drive that for? Because this is so freaking awesome. I can't believe that it's real. Like my brain was having trouble comprehending the reality of it all. So um, that really kind of was was that, that moment that really pushed me into trying to understand the industry, understand as much as possible about the industry. Um, going from, you know, everyday astronaut rocket, you know, diving into rockets and all that stuff in the history of rockets, which is a little bit more just you know, mainstream learning um, to reading, you know, space capital, private investment industry reports and learning about all the money that's going into it and how that's growing a lot year over year. Um, And then diving in and realizing there's a massive capital gap uh, for very early stage companies, particularly in space, particularly pre-revenue space companies and figuring out how can I, you know, bridge the gap between the public and those companies to solve Two people's problems. One group feels like they don't have access to space, and the other group feels like um, they can't they can't get started without you know I don't know stumbling on a large pot of gold to, to just to get their product into the space and start creating uh, you know some commercial revenue. So that's my background, a little bit of the the story, and a little bit of how we uh, you know, started what we're doing here.
0: Love that. Um, I, I'm curious before we we hop into space ventures a little bit. You kind of mentioned reading some of these reports and the gap that exists in, in, in capital. Can we talk about some space stats in the industry? What type of money is going into this space, where it's going, where it's coming from? Yeah,
1: that's uh, yeah, that's really, that's good. really so, good. So, you know, so, I'm going to focus on the private, the private equity side of space for now. Um, and a uh, Someone, you may want to double check the exact number, but the last I saw was about ten billion in private investment that went to space. In um, and, uh, and when I started, so a couple, of, you know, a few years back, it was you know six billion was a big story, um, and then it, it increased. And obviously, there was COVID, so there was a little bit of a lull in investment and things like that. But it just kept going up, um, and it's kind of culminated about ten billion, I think. Maybe it's gone up in the last year because I've been so busy building what we're building that I haven't been staying up on all the reports. Um, so a lot of money going to that. Now what I found was I kind of dug. You don't have to dig too deep. You just start to see where that money is going. And I think one of the big things that stood out to me, and 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 this is really encapsulated what Bryce Tech uh, put out recently in one of their reports. And they're they're a great um, analytics uh, group that does some of these re- some of this research. Um, they put out an annual report, and one of their big things that came out with was there was you know. $10 billion or whatever it was invested. I think this made it, I may be pulling from the 2020 report, um,
0: 2021
1: report is probably coming out soon. Um, so there's like $10 billion invested and something like, um, you know, 80% of that went to eight companies or some crazy number. It's something that really kind of blows your mind. When you think about space, though, it all makes sense because, you know, first of all, SpaceX, right? If, it's, if they breathe that they're interested in raising money, they can raise a billion dollars at whatever valuation they put out there they're just kind of having a linear track but they could say something crazy and they probably would get it um, and then you have other companies that still just need a lot of money to get something up into space and a lot of that's driven by rocket companies and things like that so from a numbers perspective lots of money moving in but a lot of that's aggregated or you know kind of accumulated up at the very top and then there's if you do look at over over the few last few years the numbers of seed Investments that are happening in Series A investments are either stagnated or actually decreasing. Um, so that's a problem for me with uh, I'm trying to ramp up innovation. I need a lot more of those happening, not just more money
0: going to the, the companies at the top. Makes a ton of sense. Um, and, you know, it's something we we often hear. It's like, you know, there, there was a time where you could get money for your idea and there was a time where you get money for your MVP. And it seems like all of these things, just the numbers are constantly changing what they say the target is for you to be able to raise capital. And and unfortunately, it leaves this massive gap for 90 plus percent of people who are trying to get started up of where do I go to raise those initial dollars and prove that I have something so that I can raise from those bigger institutions.
1: And let me add, let me the, add the qualitative, qualitative story, to story to that. You know, yeah. when I was talking with Space Founders, it was natural for me to start that. Um, and I think it took five <laughs> to realize there was a pattern. But even after 50, that pattern held true. Um, you know, they were the VC groups and the way their LP structures are set up. They, you know, LPs are the customers. <laughs> the, the founders are the product, um, in, unfortunately. And obviously, there's a they want to work together and all that stuff. I'm not trying to badmouth VC in this. Even though this is the audience to probably do it with, I don't really, do, I don't really think that way. <laughs> um, you, know, you know, their risk and rewards don't really line up, and so really, what the founders were getting the same story over and over again. Come to me when you have revenue. I love this concept. I want to be a part of it, but please come to me. Be the first call when you have revenue. Um, and unfortunately, you know, you may be able to bootstrap revenue in most software. Style companies, um, maybe even some consumer hardware. But when you talk about space, you already have the hardware bit, you already have all of this, like it's hard and complicated. And um, then you also have to put it through environmental testing and then actually put it up in space, which is a massive risk that it'll even work the first time. Um, So you have to, it can be millions of dollars just to get a commercially viable product, even if it's of an MVP, but a commercially viable one where you can actually sell stuff. Uh, whether that's data or some kind of service, right? Um, you need to get quite you a bit. That's, that's not really bootstrappable for the vast majority of people, even if they're an aerospace engineer that's been banking 200k plus per year at some later aerospace company. 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 Um, you know, it's not easy to then bankroll that. Um, it's a and it's nearly impossible. So qualitatively, it's a that's just an exacerbated problem
0: at early stage space. Now, I mean, end of the day, the R&D level in, in this type of thing is exceptionally high. So let's talk about what Space Ventures does. How does it help solve for this market gap in terms of companies being able to raise capital early? So what
1: we really identified was a fairly you know, specific niche where there's a lot of companies that have essentially a ground-based, whether that you call it a prototype or a product, right? They have a ground-based product already built. Um, so they've done a lot of the hard bootstrapping. But they need to essentially put that into space. So sometimes it's just about booking a ride. Sometimes it's about putting it through all the space qualifications. There's regulatory things they have to do. There's vibration testing they have to do. It heavily depends on what they're building. So we really found that, you know, there's a lot of technology that's sitting on shelves right now that like once get once they're in space, they can actually start producing real revenue. So we tend to focus on uh or at least one of the, the niches we like is you know that pre-revenue company that's that one step, I mean, there's many steps involved, but if you think about it, that one small step to revenue, it's um, so really where we try and focus. Um, and then uh, one of the other things that obviously, given the nature of space and given the nature of the interest in space, and then given the nature of a lot of big companies, even larger companies that are interested in it, we found that there's a lot of interest in larger, later stage companies trying to bring in, whether that's you know their next customers, or because you know, there's a lot of folks in the industry on our platform. Or, um engineers, for talent or even just even just that buzz that crowd buzz that they really all crave <laughs> that everyone wants to be Elon right everyone wants to have that level of kind of success and fandom, you know driving their stock price up and things like that. So um, you know what we really focus on are companies like that. and then when you say we also focus on space companies, there's a definition there that's hard to necessarily define. We tend to focus on hardware that lives above the Carmen line. That's not a true strict definition, um, you know, serves the space industry, uh, serves the industry in some ways really where we tend to uh, draw that line. And then we do a lot of due diligence to try and, you know, keep what we feel is, you know, even though it's still kind of a minimum bar, we feel it's a relatively high minimum bar for
0: um, bringing companies well, in into the platform. Well, I, I think that's one of the most interesting things for me that I've kind of learned, even just checking out Space Ventures that, you know, uh, space. Technology is about so much more than just space travel. There's satellites. There's the tools that you need for doing research in space. You know, all of the imaging equipment, data equipment. Um, so it is pretty interesting to see how broad the scope actually is. Um, would love to get your your thoughts. You know, I'm sure many of our listeners have seen the Bezos's and the must of the world kind of go into space over the past year. Um what are your thoughts on on what's going on right now and kind of this renaissance of of interest in space travel? Um, you know, is it a passing fad or, or what is it that's kind of leading this charge and enabling it to become a trend?
1: You know, so, you know, so I think uh, an important uh, metric to keep in mind when you're thinking about this is um, the number of billionaires, which we think is essentially the most elite class in the world versus the number of astronauts. And you would assume that one of those is bigger than the other. But the uh, billionaire number is something like two thousand plus, plus. Uh, and maybe that's gone down with recent market, you know, numbers. But still, pretty close to that number. And the number of uh, astronauts is six hundred something. Um, so what you're dealing with is essentially the single most, you know, elite class in the world. If you're going to think about elitism, but really, the other way of thinking about it is that experience is a very specific small group of people. And so, you know, part of this idea of driving people, putting people into space, even if they're bringing the cost down from what was $50 million down to $2 million or $250,000, it's that's a substantial decrease. It's opening up the opportunity for millionaires now to go rather than just billionaires. But, um, you know, essentially what's happening is people are experiencing something. And I'm, I'm kind of envious, you know, I want to experience experience that as well. But if you want to look at what that experience kind of looks like is you look at what happened to chatner or you know uh, michael strahan when they came back you know in tears and just very emotional and you can't really begin to describe it kind of one of those things you kind of have to kind of have to be there um and, and and this is a consistent the the overview effect that world kind of overview effect is a consistent unifying function i think that that um the world or that anyone that's done that repeats over and over again. I'm sure there's, you know, exceptions to that rule. They came back and somehow became a worse human being. But generally speaking, um, you know, people come back and they really see the world in a more unified um, way because it is us versus the void, you know, not, not us versus us in this little planet where we're all inwardly focused. So I think that trend is generally a good thing. Obviously, the easy thing to poke fun of with a lot of the media and stuff like that, like to poke fun at. You know, hey, it's just billionaires or what have you. Or if it's like Salesforce what they did with their recent Super Bowl ad, right? Oh, we should fix our planet first. The reality is if you get into space, um, the industry, people that are working on the industry, a lot of them have a lot of focus on making the world a better place. Not like holistically. This isn't like, oh, I just, I don't care. I want to you know, burn fossil fuels to get into orbit so, so that I can like burn more fossil fuels or create more junk, right? Um, everyone has their different focus, but there's a lot of companies working on environmentally focused, um, whether it's an earth observation company, creating more data, weather data, right? So they could predict some of these crazy, you know, weather events better, all that kind of stuff. And generally speaking, I think a lot of that industry is heavily optimistic and focused on fixing earth's problems, not focused on, you know, just dwelling, that dwelling in the fact that they exist. And so I do think that's a general trend that's headed in the right direction. I think, it. you know, I hope and I believe that it's here to stay. I mean, the industry itself, if you look at the numbers economically, it's something like 400, you know, um, you know, billion uh, as, a, as an economy, and the projections from Morgan Stanley are a trillion within the next 20 years, and uh, more, uh, Merrill Lynch are a three trillion within the next 20 years. You know, my expectation is quite a bit bigger, right? But I'm also that optimist. So
0: <laughs> um, that's my <laughs> Obviously with space, you know, we're talking about to your point, 10 and 20 year horizons. That's why the the projections they're giving are are over very long periods of time. Everything takes a long time. Talk to me about what you kind of view as, you know, what the next one to two decades looks like. How are we how is our interaction with space going to change? And then underlying that, what are some investment areas, not as recommendations, but just areas that you're seeing that you think are are really interesting that are going to help propel that type of interaction forward.
1: Yeah, so um yeah. So, you know one of the things to keep in mind is that uh space is a place not an industry. So I've said industry many times. That's the way that we all tend to think, but space is a place where industry happens, right? Uh, <laughs> so it tends to be quite focused in a very specific area. Um, but I think it's important because it, it's kind of more akin to like when um you know people were moving to the West, right? They just took what was in the east, put it on a train then they started propagating that same industry, that same whatever. Right? So I think that's the right frame of mind here. And the reason that's important is because your timeframes don't have to be 20 years because the 20-year time frame is a Mars time frame. The lunar time frame is 10. I mean, this is when I say is, that's very definitive and kind of confident. Who knows? But, you know, that's what I believe, right? It's more like a 10-year time frame. And the orbital economy is here already. I mean, there's a very robust date Earth observation market that is selling data, selling telecommunications. You see what Starlink is doing and things like that. Um, you know, Starlink has a bunch of different components in there. So there's a whole group of people that are building stuff that go into that satellite um, or other satellites. Um, and something I think that's, in rel- that's really important when you think about just the orbital economy, there's something like 3,000 satellites up there right now. Um, the uh, the, the, the regulatory agency that l- allows for licenses to go up in orbit and things like that, that they got something like 30,000. Uh, they approved 30,000 different um, you know requests for satellites up there. So it's a tenfold increase in just the just the orbital economy, which is quite easy, quote unquote, to get to and costs to get there are much more affordable. And in fact, one of the companies on our platform, Exospace, they took 25K and booked a flight to to orbit off of that right um that, that's crazy that that even even happen you know they were they found some of the most efficient ways to do it and you it's possible um but they obviously have to get their product and all that stuff ready for it so you know with that in mind there's definitely a lot of opportunities i would think that your liquidity risk for those timelines tend to think you know if you're if you're just comparing this to a SaaS investment probably add if it's a leo a you know, low earth orbit opportunity, probably add one to two years to get to revenue. If it's a lunar, that could be three to four years. If it's lunar, you know, actually on the ground, that could be five plus years. And if it's someone that's trying to sell you a Martian habitat, and obviously there's exceptions all around this, but someone's trying to sell you a Martian habitat, you have to be thinking much longer, right? So if you have those liquidity risks in mind, it probably makes sense, but it gives you various opportunities. And then one of the other things that's happening in general, is that there's a lot of component players, right? People that are making the world's most efficient or the universe's most efficient known universes, <laughs> uh, gas tanks, right, uh, or things like that, right? Um, those are substantially important in in the way that uh, these these spacecraft are built. Um, but a lot of these players can be wrapped up into others, and there's there's a lot of expected consolidation in the industry over the next three to five years, uh, maybe sooner. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of you know, it won't be your maybe 100x return on a consolidation that's being wrapped up, but it could be easily, you know, a 2, 5, 10x return, depending on how well the company does. So those are actually much shorter, you know, would be opportunities.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I was interested, even when I was, I was kind of poking around space ventures, you, to your point, you know, it's not all about, you know, space exploration and, and going to Mars. There are a lot of companies that are playing with satellites and data solutions and, you know, making uh, the, the carrying of fuel more efficient in space, things that actually probably can go to market quite a bit faster. Um, just curious to hear from you, you know, is NASA playing a role in any of this? Are they providing grants? Are they working with private companies? Where are they at these days? Yeah, NASA
1: and other government agencies, and actually DOD groups, um, SpaceWorks uh, or Space Force and SpaceWorks is like AFWorks and these other groups. They are coming up and um, filling a lot of uh, gaps in the very early stages. So really, when like, and this comes back to what I was talking about, you know, the prototype. When you're going through in the industry and any any kind of R and D, everyone knows about TRL stages, you know, technology readiness, uh, technology readiness levels, right? Um, where are they at? Are they at one or 10, right? And so essentially 10 is like, a you know, it's a product that's been being sold for years and years and years and everyone trusts it, right? It's, it's I don't know, it's, it's the hammer that everyone has, right? Um, and then one is, it's an idea on a piece of paper <laughs> or maybe even not on a piece of paper at this point. So, you know, a lot of the focus for some of these Sibbers, early stage Sibbers uh, in one of these grant programs, they tend to go in the zero to three stage. And then there's kind of this, four, five, six, where you're taking it from a prototype and turning it into a commercially viable product. And then seven, eight, nine, it's like actually being used commercially in various stages. I I oversimplified it and the engineers listening to this will tell me how wrong I was describing that. But, you know, roughly speaking, it's about appropriate. So where traditionally a lot of our companies have fallen, and I say our companies, I mean, space as an industry, our, have fallen off is in that they can get those earlier you know, uh, grants and things like that, that are 50 to $150,000. It's in taking that from that stage to turning it into a commercial product that still requires hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. And the government's not just going to write that check all the way through what they kind of want to do is they, they give some seed funding. They, they, the cyber program considers themselves like the seed funder uh, of the United States, you know, economy, right? So that gives them seed funding, and then they expect to see private you know, um, funding coming in as well, right? So this is always the original intent. Um, Oftentimes, though, with government, you have things that may not work right or may not be super efficient. And then instead of necessarily like taking something down and rebuilding it, they just add another thing that kind of adds more complexity and who knows, right? Um, So with that whole thing in mind, it's not easy. They do exist. We do tend to, so, you know, essentially, I think everyone on our platform has a Sibber of some kind under their belt. There's a lot of opportunities to grab the $50,000 ones and things like that. So there's really no, there's no, it's a great way to de risk some of this RD and there's not a major excuse to not go after any of them, right? So you really should be doing that and de risk it, things. It's non dilutive. It's a great opportunity for founders. So we highly encourage that. Um, and then there's others where, you know, they come to our platform after they already have three, like Zeros who just launched it, Quantum Laser Cons, right? They already have, three lined up with different groups, and it's up to 500,000. So the the R&D risk was substantially reduced, which is important when you're talking about quantum lasers in space, right? Because now all of a sudden, it's like, okay, there's like multiple levels of intense, you know, technical development going on here. Um, So we feel more comfortable putting them out to the public once they've had some real de-risking on the R&D side.
0: Well, if I've taken anything away from this conversation, it's that there is um both an abundance of opportunity and just really really unique uh investments in this space that are that are much grander than necessarily maybe what you get from you know watching television um so you know for those who are listening they're going gee this sounds like a space i'd really love to be invested in um how can they get started where should they go
1: you know so you you know know, i i would say you kind of want to Just like anyone that is already thinking about any kind of crowdfunding investment, uh, any kind of private equity investment, you have to understand portfolio theory is kind of everything, right? This is, not again, not investment advice, but you can Google this and figure this out. It's really important to diversify across things. Even if you think, and I'll use companies on my platform as an example. Even if you think imminent composites is the absolute winner on our platform if you had 10000 to invest, don't put all 10000 into them, right? I, I would suggest if I was, you know, if this was me doing it, let's put it that way, I'd be putting, you know, two, two and two, right, in a couple of different, you know, uh, investments because no matter what happens, there's a ton of risk. And when you talk about the, uh, the liquidity risk of longer timelines involved, that just means more bad stuff can happen. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, and it's you know, there's essentially it's entropy here, right? Any he, you know, we're always fighting, always um, as a, company, as a company, as a startup, you know, right? So startup right? So, how can we create you know, the, the longer you're out, longer you're to revenue, the, the more bad stuff more can happen, the more happen, you know, like a, a war, like a can war, can and throw and things, and things off, really and requires really you requires you to, you know, so I'd be thinking about that regardless. And then, uh, when it comes to space, one of the things that's interesting, again, space is a place, not an industry, so you have some consistent themes like they have to get launched up there. They have to have considerations around radiation and orbital mechanics and all this stuff. But, um, you know, any deep tech can happen in space. Like right right now on our platform, we have advanced materials, we have advanced manufacturing, we have quantum, we have AI machine learning. These are all their own areas of, you know, um, you know, deep tech and interesting concepts that are being done. But you can invest in any of those things and then also have a space layer to it. And the nice thing about space is that there's so much room for efficiency improvement that even really small improvements in what you might consider performance or something like that actually save a 10x uh, on the ground, right, for cost savings and things like that. So that's one of the reasons why space has always been pushing things forward as far as technology innovation is concerned, because it's so costly to get something up that if you can save mass you know, a 10, you know, 10% mass savings, it can be still a 10X improvement in cost on the ground. So, you know, that's where the, the fact that you're operating on the edge is so expensive to operate on the edge. It really pushes you to innovate small incrementally as well as, you know, big, massive shifts. Um, so in the ground, we tend to look at very specific, this has to be a 10X improvement. That's like the classic thing in startup. Is this a 10X improvement or yes or no? Um and uh, who knows if there are many of those out there left in space, uh, you know, a 2x improvement can like totally change the game. That's like, you know, examples of what, the, you know, uh, some of the companies on our platform are doing. So, if you, you know, if you're interested, obviously there are, you know, and we're not the only ones that do space. You can go to other platforms and look, you know, what we really focus on are really trying to find what we believe are the top 10 percent in the industry. Um, and we're tracking 1,200 companies in space that have various levels of connections to space and things like that. So we're constantly, you know, talking to and looking at and, and trying to add value to companies so that we can attract the best. So with that in mind, so, yeah. you can go to spaceventures.com. You can look at the companies that are on there um, and look to see for yourself do your own research and, and see if that's interesting.
0: Excellent. Well, we'll drop that in the show notes for sure. Um, I think it's a really cool site. I've definitely had a, a good time looking around at, at some of the companies that are on there. And it's certainly a very different flavor from what you'll typically see on your day to day, you know, looking at startups. So um, yeah. a little more exciting than another B2B SaaS startup, that's for sure. Um, but really, really cool stuff. Thank you so much for your time, your consideration, all of your thoughts on this industry. Um, it's certainly an exciting time in this space for sure. Yes,
1: it, it's been fun. It's been I appreciate fun. the questions and looking forward to coming back in a year or two from now and we can talk about all the investment that's happened in
0: space from the public. Absolutely. Well, Aaron, thank you again. Everyone have a wonderful day and thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Inside Startup Investing. Before you go, if you enjoyed the show, please give us a like or a positive review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like and share our latest episodes. And if you like what you heard and want to learn more about how we can help you manage your startup investing search, diligence, and management at Kingscrowd, check us out at kingscrowd.com. Thanks, and until next time, happy investing.